Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Preacher Boys podcast. Bridget, thank you so much for joining me on today's show. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. yeah. The first question I have to ask you is, how are you doing? Because I am no stranger to covering uh, what people take as very controversial subjects. Uh, and the internet is uh, a wild ravenous, uh, crazy place. And so um, <laughs> since the book's released, you know, I mean, do you feel you feel good? Do you feel like the response has been pretty positive? Like what's been your uh, kind of emotional state the last couple of months? Yeah, so the the response to the book has actually been overwhelmingly positive. Um, and I think that largely has to do with um, the fact that we have been very, I guess, intentional about the audience that we've been targeting. Um, I was uh, really, I don't know, I guess, I decided early on in the book that I was not going to try to reach people from uh, what I would consider to be a demographic that is just not interested at all in listening. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of books written from a Christian perspective are, you know, attempting to reach that demographic, which, um, you know, more power to them. We definitely need people reaching those. Um, But I often find that. Um, speaking to that crowd often falls on deaf ears and um, they generally don't hear what is being said and just respond from their own perspective, from their own biases and assumptions without really listening. Um, And so uh, for heavy burdens, I decided early on, I'm going to write a book that is directed towards the audience that I know is listening. Um, I'm not going to waste my time trying to convince a group that can't be convinced, has decided already that they don't want to be convinced. Um, Instead, I'm going to reach the people that are already asking questions or already wrestling with this, already recognize that something is wrong, but don't quite understand it, don't quite know what to do about it. 
Um, because to me, those are the people um, that are willing to listen and are willing to do something um, to bring change. And so um, as a result of that, the, the response to the book has been overwhelmingly positive. It's actually been really encouraging. Um, just I'm getting a lot of messages, emails, DMs from people um, telling me um, the different things that they've taken out of the book, um, ways that the book has changed their perspective. Um, so it's been, it's been really encouraging. And honestly, the, probably the biggest stress in my life, thankfully is not the book, but is my, uh, puppy Farron, who you see I'm playing with right now because she won't leave me alone. (laughs) Um, and so if you, if you hear her in the background, that's, that's because she, for whatever reason has decided to be very active right now. (laughs) There you go. A lot to say on this topic then. Um, no, no, I mean, yeah, the, I, it's, it's, I relate to so much what you said, just, you know, talking, I mean, even talking about abuse in the church, which, you know, it's, it shouldn't be a controversial conversation, you know, and, um, you know, but there's so many where I've just come to a point where I've said, you know, I have to just do what I'm going to do, knowing that there's some people, um, this came up yesterday. We were sitting, I'm sitting down to do an interview with somebody and we had like a, you know, a, there was like a Budweiser, you know, can in the background and they're like, you know, and I was like, I would have freaked out about that, but you know, and said, Oh, they're going to use that to discredit what I'm saying, you know, mm-hmm. but the truth is they're going to look for anything to discredit what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So why am I exactly. pandering to one specific audience? Exactly. Um, yeah. When, when I posted, um, so I posted a, a an image, you know, of you in the book and said I was having you on and, and asked if anyone had any questions to my audience. And I expected, you know, one or two people to, you know, make some comment or, you know, all the kind of rebuttals or arguments that you see pop up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was disappointed with how many people, people that weren't even associated with the page come in and, you know, start making a lot of assumptions about where your motivations are, start making a lot mm-hmm. of motivation uh, assumptions about what the topic is and, and speak, you know, speaking rather than asking a question, which is what the post was asking to. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for you, I guess I want to just get out right in the beginning. What was your motivation in writing this book? Um, because it doesn't come across to me as this theological manifesto, um, trying mm-hmm. to persuade people of a certain position. Uh, what was your, your kind of guiding force in writing this? Yeah, well, you're completely right. My motivation was not to write some kind of theological manifesto. Um, I think a lot of people, um, especially in conservative Christian circles, can be very um, scared to read uh, books by LGBTQ authors because they're afraid of being led astray theologically. Mm. Like I'm going to read this book and this person is going to convince me to uh, believe something, believe some kind of doctrine that is, you know, contrary to God's word. And I'm going to be led astray and led into sin. And there's like a lot of fear around that. And so what winds up happening is um, people just don't read anything at all because they don't want to be led astray. And I know Mm. I definitely was part of that group for a while. I'm just out of fear of what I might find in this book or that book. I just didn't read it at all. Um, And so with heavy burdens, I 
wanted to write a book that where it does not matter um, what your theological position is, um, whether you believe in same-sex marriage, whether you don't believe in same-sex marriage, it actually doesn't matter. Um, what I write about in the book is uh, for you, regardless of where you come from on the theological spectrum. Um, and that's because I'm not writing a book to convince anyone of anything, whether to believe in same-sex marriage or uh, condemn same-sex marriage. That's beside the point. I set that question aside um, because I find that question to be a major distraction um, in understanding what it is like to be queer in the church and understanding the experience of queer people in the church. People get so caught up in the question of marriage and how we define marriage um, that very little time is ever spent considering the personal experiences of real people. Um, and so I, I open up the book making that as clear as possible. I'm not here to convince you to believe one theology or another on same-sex marriage. And um, I think um, that has made a real difference in a lot of people um, and their willingness to read the book. Um, and, you know, for myself, I come from actually a conservative perspective, um, theologically. Um, I actually hold to a traditional understanding of marriage and sexuality. Um, I follow a teaching of scripture where marriage is between a man and a woman for the purpose of procreation. That's really surprising to people. Um, and they would never know that if they just look at my book and just assume what right. they want to assume and never Which is read why it. I laughed reading some of the comments, you know, when I yeah. asked the question, because <laughs> I was like, I think you'd be surprised who this mm -hmm. person is if you would listen, <laughs> but yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, absolutely. And so, um, but even though that's my perspective, um, you know, I'm not there to preach the traditional perspective and like convince people that a traditional reading of scripture is biblical, um, which, you know, some people would, you know, more, my progressive audience would probably be worried about that. Yeah. Um, and more conservative audiences would be worried about the other side, but I'm interested in um, talking about the experiences of queer people in the church. What is it like to be queer and why is it like that? Um, regardless of where you stand. Right. Well, I, I heard you on my friend Tim's podcast, the new evangelicals, you know, and you were talking, mm -hmm. you're, you're, you find yourself in a very interesting position because like you said, you have the conservatives on one side that are saying, you know, it, they're the people waving around going, Oh, see, look how she's doing this. You know, I, this is what the LGBT community really needs to get. And this mm -hmm. is like, they have so much to learn here on the other side you know, there's people in the LGBT community who I'm sure are listening to this episode that when you say, oh, I hold to a traditional view of marriage, they're turned off to go like, oh, okay. So this isn't what we expect you to be. This isn't what you should mm -hmm. be promoting. Um, mm -hmm. You know, what would you say to that? Because you, for someone who's, who's reading, so you, you identify as being lesbian, mm -hmm. um, but uh, you hold to a traditional view of marriage. Um, mm -hmm. There's some people that would say, you know, just holding to that view is offensive to the community or it's not a, you know, 
that's not a valid position that you can hold. What would be kind of your response to that or your thought on that? Yeah, I mean, I 100% understand why um, that perspective exists. Um, And it's because the uh, traditional view of marriage for so long has been associated with homophobia um, and has been really twisted in um, extremely harmful ways to uh, condemn and um, just do a lot of harm to queer people, myself included. Uh, And so, you know, there's valid reasons for feeling that way. And, you know, I don't necessarily, I guess, feel upset when people react that way, because I understand where it comes from. Um, But, you know, I do hope that um, people in more progressive communities, um, queer people, um, who affirm same-sex marriage can uh, appreciate the importance of uh, queer people being able to um, read the Bible and authentically encounter God's word and um, follow where the spirit leads them wherever that happens to be. Um, and so uh, I'm not the only queer person who has come to this perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, many others do, um, which is a normal product of human beings coming mm-hmm. to God's word, trying to figure out what it says and, you know, reading that, you know, feeling convicted that God's word is asking them to live this way instead of that way. Um, and so Um, I hope that people can see the value in um, queer people having autonomy and agency Mm -hmm. to read God's word for themselves and come to their own understanding of it and following Jesus wherever he leads, whether that is um, into a same-sex marriage or into celibacy or into something else. Um, And one of the things that um, I think is important to uh, clarify is that while this is my faith, while these are my convictions, um, I 100% respect the fact that other people have uh, different convictions about what God is asking them to do. Um, and so, you know, I'm not looking at another person um, and thinking, oh my gosh, they're living in sin. Um, you know, they have, they, they, have come to different convictions than me. And that's normal. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't ever, I can't remember the last time I met a Christian who um, had the exact same convictions of what the Bible was asking them, how the Bible was asking them to live. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, I don't necessarily see um, the question of how we interpret marriage to be any different than um, how the question of how we interpret other theological issues. Um, and so I'm not looking at someone else and thinking, oh my gosh, you terrible sinner. I'm looking at someone else and being like, you're another human like me, um, trying to just live your life um, and uh, you know, following Jesus in the way that makes sense to you as best you can. Um, and that's what we're all doing. Um, and I think that in and of itself is beautiful um, and worthy of honor and respect. And so I think I want to clarify that 
that just because this is my convictions does not mean that I expect other people to hold yeah. that. No, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's, that's a question that came up from somebody was, um, you know, they were asking, you know, they, they had read on your website or, or in the book, you know, about celibacy, you know, and, and they had asked, you know, is that something that you expect of other, other people to do in order for you to accept them? And I don't at all get that from your book. It seems like mm-hmm. your, your view, which I think is a healthy one, is that no group of people is monolithic. There's expressions mm-hmm. and, and actions that each individual takes and decisions that each individual makes. Um, and uh, I, I want to dive in really to what you mentioned, which is there has been a lot of horrible experiences in the LGBT community mm-hmm. throughout church history. Um, and you yeah. give snippets of that history, whether it be uh, Jerry Falwell, whether it be talking through just kind of culturally uh, the way that we've addressed these these topics mm-hmm. and how that filtered into the church. Um, and one thing I really appreciate about your book is you give examples in each chapter of people who have experienced uh, these abuses. Um, mm-hmm. And again, these are people that are all across the spectrum, people that are in same-sex you know, marriages, people that are um, going the route of, of trying to practice a more traditional path, you know, some that are in the trans community. Uh, why was it so important writing your book, not just to come from your perspective, but to interview so many different people to hear their voice and their story within the church? Yeah, well, one one reason why this was important to me is because uh, I wanted people to come finish this book and come away with um, an understanding that this is a widely experienced reality. This is not just my experience. This is not just, you know, one or two people that I happen to know their experience. Um, This is a widely lived reality um, that queer people across the spectrum experience um, from queer people that are trying to be celibate all the way to queer people that are married and everything in between, trans to asexual, bisexual, gay, intersex, across the whole spectrum, this is what is being experienced. Um, Because I think there can be a tendency to think, oh, these are just extremes. Mm -hmm. Um, This isn't what it's really like. You know, this is just an extreme story, but that's not the case. Um, what I'm describing is the norm um, mm-hmm. in Christian communities. I don't know. I don't have a single queer Christian friend that does not have a horrendous story of abuse and trauma um, related to their experience in Christian communities. And most of them more than one story, most yeah. of them multiple. Cool. Um, yeah. And so that was probably the biggest reason is I wanted to capture this like this wide breadth of reality that exists. Yeah. Well, I mean, just in the introduction of your book, you share a story of being in a, a small group type setting, you know, mm-hmm. and listening to a parent within the church, um, you know, talking about their child, you know, who they found out was gay. And and the verbiage there was so familiar to me because I've heard that conversation so many times of, mm-hmm. you know, um, I mean, you mentioned specifically like, oh, I'd rather have found out that my child was dead, you know, than gay. And mm-hmm. that's a shocking thing to read 
but it's something that probably every single person that's grown up within, especially, I say especially, but I mean, fundamentalist Christianity or evangelicalism in general has probably heard some version of that statement mm-hmm. um, at some point. Um, how do we get to this point? Because again, this book's not a theological manifesto. I think ultimately it's the argument is for the dignity and worth of all people. That's that's what mm-hmm. I seem to see in the book. How do we get to a point where we've so devalued one community within the church, especially especially within the church? Yeah, well, it's it's a really long and arduous story. Could be a book. Um, yeah, it could a be a book. <laughs> you'll yeah, you'll have to read my book to get the full. Um, I guess, story of where it all began and how it developed over the past several centuries. But um, I think a good place to start just in times, in terms of conceptualizing this is um, understanding that for a very long time, homosexuality has been uh, considered an unforgivable sin. Um, if you are gay, that by definition means that you are cut off from the grace of God. Right. Um, that That is how homosexuality has been conceived of within Christian communities for uh, the past century. And so what that means is that if you find out that you're son or daughter or brother, whoever it may be, is gay, what you have just found out is that God condemns them and sentences them to hell. That's what you've just found out. Um, And so when you consider that, (laughs) that being gay means that God has condemned this person, that this person is beyond his reach is um, is is inherently going to hell. Nothing can stop that. Um, then, I mean, it makes perfect sense why a parent would say something like they'd rather have found out that their child was dead than gay. Because at least if they had found out that their child was dead, then they'd have some kind of hope of their child going to heaven. But when you hear that your child is gay, they that that in a parent's mind is finding out that their child has decided to reject God, rebel against him, and is now on a path to hell. Um, and I've had so many people reach out to me essentially saying that very thing, um, telling me that I am on the path of Satan, um, that I am... Uh, in the spiraling downward circle that is going to eventually lead to me um, circling the paths of hell. Um, These types of things are um, everywhere in how people think about homosexuality. Um, And it leads to this idea that um, you're better off dead than gay, um, which is not just shared by people outside of the gay experience um, looking in, but also gay people themselves thinking about themselves um, because this is such an inculcated mindset. Um, For many queer people, when you find out that you're queer, 
um, it is like almost an unthinkably terrible thing to discover about yourself. And um, this is one of the reasons why uh, it's not the only reason why, but one of the reasons why um, the suicide rate is so high for queer people in Christian communities, because um, many come to the conclusion that they are better off dying than going um, than living their life and continuing to live as a gay person. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's just, it's so common. No, I, I, I'm thankful you brought up the, um, the high rate of suicide. Um, that's something that, that was again, brought up. I was reading through comments on a post just recently and, and, uh, you know, there was somebody from very fundamental, I mean, still very fundamentalist circles, you know, sharing statistics and they were using that as proof of how self-destructive the, the quote unquote gay lifestyle is. And the way it was shared, the messaging around it, I was telling my wife, I said, they're, they're kind of showing, (laughs) I think where that high number comes from, you know, because when you've got people, again, you've got someone pointing to it and, and spouting off all of this, you know, cold calculated theological rhetoric at an entire community of people. Um, and then saying, you know, oh, when there's high rates of depression or suicide within Mm -hmm. that group, that's proof that they're doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, but if any of us were on the receiving end, like going back to that conversation we just talked about, Mm -hmm. if I heard my parents talking about me that way, the amount of trauma or the amount of, of, negative emotion that would rise up in me is, is very high. And so mm-hmm. um, it's just, a, it's really sad. I think it's really sad. We've gone into this place where people feel like there's no other option than to either, you know, be completely quiet and live miserably or, mm-hmm. you know, take, take the route of suicide. Yeah. Yeah. It's um it's unspeakably tragic and, Um, you know, one of the things that I, one of the statistics I share in my book is how, um, a study was done just recently on, um, the religious involvement of queer people. And it was found that the more involved for every demographic that was measured, the more involved they were, uh, in their faith, um, the less likely they were to commit suicide. But for queer people, it was the opposite. The more involved and more committed to their faith a queer person was, the more likely they were to um, consider suicide and die by suicide. Mm. Um, and that's really startling that um, a queer person is healthier in terms of their mental health (laughs) by not being inside a religious community than than being involved in one. That a queer person is in more danger of dying um, by being involved in a church than if they just said sayonara and went on and lived their life. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, that is tragic. It is startling. Um, and, um, I think it speaks to the fact that, uh, queer people are being pushed away, 
Um, and for many queer people, uh, leaving the church is a matter of life or death. Um, and you know, they're being told that, um, God doesn't love them. Um, they're being told that they are inherently sinful, um, for just being who they are. Um, and so the choice is stick it out in the church and, uh, be miserable and, uh, just try to grit your teeth and bear it or leave. Um, and, have a much happier and healthier and better life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just, that's not how it's supposed to be. Being a part of a Christian community is supposed to um, better our lives. Uh, it's supposed to um, provide us with family. Um, it's supposed to improve our um, relationship to ourselves, to others, to God. Um, and that's not the case for queer people. And that is what needs to change. Yeah. Where does that change start? Uh, where do we start becoming, uh, you know, and, and again, my, my audience is split between Christian and non-Christian. So mm-hmm. even broadly, what can communities do? Whether this be, yeah. I mean, we could talk primarily to churches. I know there's a lot of people that are curious in that perspective, but how do we make communities a safer place and not a place that is forcing people to choose this life or death decision of like, do I Mm -hmm. stay or do I go? Yeah. Um, Well, one of the things that I talk about in my book is um, I name the the problem of forcing celibacy onto people. Um, That's a really, really big problem uh, where there is this expectation that um, in order to live a holy life, queer people need to be celibate. Um, And if they're not celibate, then that is a clear sign that they are sinning and um, not a real Christian. Um, And that in and of itself does a lot of damage um, to the possibility of um, community in um, Christian circles, because um, what that's saying is that your belonging is conditional on what you do in your sex life. Um, And if you make choices that all of us don't agree with, then you're not a part of our community. You're not a part of the family. Um, We don't want you. And in fact, God doesn't want you. Um, And so that puts a lot, a lot of pressure on someone. Um, And it's, it, it reflects not just what the community thinks about that person, but because that community is representing um, who God is, um, it speaks to that person, a gospel where their salvation is uh, contingent on being celibate. Um, And that's just not the case. That's not the gospel. Um, that's not the grace of Jesus Christ. Our, um, salvation is not based on, um, what we do or do not do with our sex life. Um, and when we tell a a gay person, you need to be celibate, um, in order to belong, um, well, we're telling them that you don't really belong. That's just, that's the bottom line. Um, and so uh, that's, 
that's often surprising to people that I say that because I myself am celibate and follow a traditional reading of scripture. Um, But the thing is, is that that is my choice. Um, that I arrived at that place as a result of my own personal agency. Um, and I found this as a product of freedom in my life. Um, and, uh, nobody is forcing me to live this way, to believe this way. Um, and, you know, I, I'm living this out apart from the threat of eternal damnation. Um, and that's the only way that, um, a theology, uh, can be healthy. Um, because, you know, if it's not a choice, if it's forced on a person, um, then we're basically, we're adding to the gospel is what we're doing. So that's, I would say that's the first requirement is not putting requirements on belonging, um, and the, the flip side of that is also true. I talk to a lot of um, queer people who follow a traditional reading of scripture, um, who are celibate, who tell me that um, they feel a lot of shame related to being celibate in uh, more mm. progressive circles and feel like it's something that they have to hide. Um, and that if people find out that they're not sexually active, that they, um, you know, don't want to date, um, because of their convictions about scripture, um, it's almost like this scarlet letter they feel Mm -hmm. like, because, um, now they've been branded as this sort of backwards self-hating kind of gay. Um, and that, too is extremely isolating and harmful. Um, and so flip side of the toxic environment, you know, you're going from, Mm -hmm. you're going from where either side, I mean, you leave the conservative background you're in where, you know, it's to the extent of like, go get married to someone that you're not attracted to or interested in whatsoever. So you can Mm -hmm. fill out your role in, in whatever role that is to the flip side where, the community, and I've, I've heard this from people within the LGBT community, is like there's so much pressure to fit this breakdown list. And mm-hmm. both are saying, if you act like us, we'll accept you <laughs> versus mm-hmm. versus understanding that groups are not, again, monolithic. There's multiple exactly. variations and expressions. Exactly. 100%. Yeah. I, I'm I am curious. I mean, and I want to. I want to talk about this a little bit because you had mentioned like there's this perspective, you know, from the community of you know if you're not you know having sex, you know that there is this there's a self hating nature to this, or there's this mm-hmm. you're missing this, you know, depending on what circle you're in in Christian mm-hmm. circles, this gift, or you're missing out on this opportunity, like or or you're you're still hurting yourself, you know, like there's, there's probably people that would say that's so sad that she still feels this like bondage or this, you know, like mm-hmm. I can't fully express who I am. Um, what, what level of, of, you know, the best way to ask this, but, but what level of your identity is coming from this sexual expression? Because I think for a lot of people you, you talk about in your book, 
we tend to label people Mm -hmm. based on their sexual identity. Um, Mm -hmm. And the Christian admonition to people in the LGBT community is don't define yourself by your sexuality while Mm -hmm. they will turn it in on the other side and do that same thing to them. They will define themselves by their sexual orientation. Um, You know, where does your identity kind of come from uh, first Mm -hmm. of all, and uh, to both sides, I mean, both sides that would exclude you from community based on, not being sexually active? I mean, what would your response be to them? Yeah. So I, um, my identity, I mean, talking about identity is a very complex conversation, but at least um, it's not we, controversial. <laughs> yeah, we could say that. <laughs> um, so, you know, we could, you know, have a whole podcast interview just on identity and, um, how identities developed, but, um, uh, I would say at a, at a basic that I don't define myself by my sexuality, by who I'm sexually attracted to, um, which is again, can, can strike people as odd because they're like, but you call yourself gay or you call mm-hmm. yourself a lesbian, you call yourself queer. Isn't that defining yourself by your sexual orientation? Um, and it's always so interesting to me uh, because um, the the queer community um, is uh, not trying to define ourselves as this, you know, walking sexual orientation by using those words. Um, in fact, uh, gay language, queer vocabulary was developed as a way to push back against the surrounding stigma of being attracted to the same sex. And so the word homosexual was developed as a very um, clit- clinical um, pathologizing term that was very stigmatizing um, to the gay community. And so um, what wound up happening is the word gay developed in response to the word homosexual to kind of push back against this idea that what it means to be um, gay is inherently a sexual thing. And the word homosexual really um, centers sex and so the word gay intentionally decenters that. And um, that's a similar place from where the, the homophile movement came from. It had a similar kind of motivation of trying to um, decenter sex, be like, no, we are not defined in this way, in this way that the culture is trying to define us. We are full human beings. Um, we are, you know, as complex and varied and diverse as everyone else. And we have a right to exist in this world um, as human beings and to be valued um, just like everyone else. Uh, and so that that was the impulse. Um, it was uh, a similar reason why you have phrases in the queer community like love is love. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's a very, again, uh, a phrase that many Christians react very negatively to. And what what winds up happening, at least what I've seen in uh, Christian circles that I've been in, is Christians will take that phrase, love is love, and immediately sexualize it. Um, and immediately turn it into 
uh, you know, a man sticking his dick inside someone's, you know, whatever is, you know, that's not love, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, well, who is really centering sex here? Who is really defining who by sex? Um, well, when you look at the history of the queer community, the language, the vocabulary, the ways of thinking are always always pushing back against this sexualizing by the culture. I'm always asserting our humanity in the face of continuing stigma. Um, and so I think that's that's an important thing to to recognize. And so when I call myself gay, lesbian, um, I'm using that language because I'm participating um, in a vocabulary with a very rich history um, that um, really kind of asserts um, my own humanity um, as opposed to um, this very pathologizing um, centering of sex. And so um, for, you know, a, a big demographic of Christians really um, insist on gay people calling themselves same-sex attracted. Um, and many, many others will still use the term homosexual. Those, those words are extremely uncomfortable um, and uh, feel, again, um, very pathologizing because of what they center. It's almost like they- doing that yeah purposely trying to do that yeah yeah and it's like it turns my experience away from being just a human experience and focuses it on this one thing same sex attraction you know you are a homosexual it like it just it turns the focus away from the fact that i have human dignity just like you just focuses it on this one tiny thing and so um I think it's it's important to recognize that when it comes to the queer experience, um, and I, I think that's one that's one thing that I'll say on the on the topic of identity. I guess right, right. And again, I mean, for people listening, there's so much in the book that goes into history. I mean, even even again, it's not a, a manifesto on you know here's because I think there's even left some grayer on where exactly you are on some of these things. But I think, you know, there is information about Bible translations, how that's affected views. There isn't, uh, you know, uh, just the cultural way that filtered into the church through Mm -hmm. our misunderstanding of different diseases. You know, there's, um, like I mentioned, Jerry Falwell and the political pushes, you know, so there's all of these topics that we're discussing. I mean, that you could write a book on and you have. And so for people who are listening, who are going, I feel like you're skipping something or missing something or that there's, you know, what about this? What about that? Like mm-hmm. read the book, grab a copy of the book and definitely, <laughs> definitely check it out. Um, the, the last thing I want to ask, and then I want to just run through some quick questions that came in just from, from listeners. Um, you know, one, one thing, it's one thing to talk about like hatred, you know, and there's mm-hmm. people that are truly bigoted and hateful and, and, cruel. Um, mm-hmm. There's also a lot of fear. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of people that uh, you mentioned in the book, you know, there's a lot of people uh, who have been told things about, you know, equating, uh, you know, same sex attracted, you know, LGBT couples uh, with, 
you know, pedophilia, you know, they'll say at first this, now this, that, that, that's been repeated and regurgitated time and time and time again. Um, can you kind of speak to some of the, uh, the fear, um, the fear mongering that's happened? And cause I think there's some people who wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't necessarily, I think, want to be intentionally hateful, but there's a lot of fear in this. I don't understand this. What does this mean for society or for culture, for, you know, the people that, you know, might be teaching my children or, you know, whatever those things are that you see fly out of people's mouths when this topic comes up. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. Um, And to what you said, you know, there, there definitely are hateful people out there. Um, but I would say most, most people in uh, the, you know, churches that I'm familiar with, the Christian communities that I know, um, they're not hateful people. Um, you know, they're not trying to intentionally do harm. Um, most, if you ask them would say, you know, that they're not homophobic, um, that they try to be loving, um, and welcoming, um, So, you know, the problem is clearly not that we have a bunch of um, hateful, evil, a bunch of hateful, evil people in churches. Um, uh, Those types of people, they do exist. Um, But we're we're talking more about an atmosphere that exists, an environment that has been created, a a culture um, that has developed as a result of of teachings and mindsets that are um, built in to um, the operation of Christian communities. So much so that like they exist under the surface and you don't even realize that they're there. And so um, harm is not being done by a bunch of evil people trying to hurt others. It's being done um, under the surface. Um, in ways that people do not see, um, because they are incapable of seeing it. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's what makes, um, this, these types of things so insidious, um, and so difficult to uproot, um, because people don't see it. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of fear that I see, um, and a lot of discomfort that I see in many Christian communities when it comes to dealing with this topic. Um, and I think it's because, um, you know, dealing with this topic uh, requires um, pulling back the curtain on things um, and um, turning that critical lens upon yourself um, and being willing to um, assess uh, what's under the hood, um, for lack of a better phrase. Um, And that's uncomfortable because people are afraid of what they're going to find. Um, And, you know, there's, I mean, there is a lot to be found. Um, And that is definitely uncomfortable. And it's, it's not fun to, you know, um, explore some of these things, um, and to, you know, air out your dirty laundry. And, um, it's, it's, it's not a fun experience. Um, but it's one of those things where if you don't do it, nothing is going to change. Um, and I, I think most of the Christians that I know, um, they're, they don't want, 
the you know church to go on doing harm to queer people. Um, like if you ask them outright, um, they're going to say, no, I don't want this. Um, and so, you know, if that's the case, are you willing to do what it takes to change the way things are being done? Um, because if you're not willing to put in the work, then nothing is going to change. Yeah. And if you're not willing to examine yourself and say, how Mm -hmm. have I been complicit in it? Which is again, yeah, that's uncomfortable, but you know, I, it's, it's where I keep going so many times with so many of these conversations, whether we're talking about helping victims of abuse or whether we're helping victims of trauma, whether we're talking about people that have experienced, you know, whatever that topic is, whatever people group you want to swap in here. Like, I think it's okay for you to be uncomfortable once in a while. I think it's okay for when there's entire people groups that have been uncomfortable for centuries or decades or mm-hmm. at least years, you know, maybe individually within an environment, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not too much to ask for someone to be uncomfortable mm-hmm. for a year or for six yeah. months or reading through a book, you know, it's, yeah. it's, yeah. it's not too much to ask there. And I appreciate mm-hmm. books like yours that help people do that. Cause there's, there were moments in your books where you know, I felt uncomfortable with how I had, you know, thinking back about things I'd said, you know, growing up in the, in the denomination I did thinking about conversations I had um, doing this podcast. There's been conversations that make me uncomfortable because I think of the mm-hmm. mindsets that I used to have, but it's important to constantly re-examine and re, you know, reevaluate where you're at and, and see where you still need to make progress. Um, yeah. I, I really appreciate you joining me for this conversation. I want to just ask a couple of quick questions that uh, some people in the audience have asked um, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, but uh, first of all, Rebecca asked, uh, how can Christians who hold to the belief that marriage is between a man and a woman love their LGBTQ neighbors better? Um, she said, I still hold to belief that marriage is between a man and a woman and I see homosexuality as a sin and something people struggle with. Um, what would be kind of your answer? We may have covered this a little bit earlier mm-hmm. on, but um, do you have a direct answer for her on that one? Um, well, the, there's a, a few questions that I would um, first have to clarify what's being asked. Because sure. um, uh, uh, Rebecca is making a statement where she says that she believes homosexuality um, is a sin. Um, and so I... I would want to ask her what she means by that, um, because the idea that homosexuality is a sin um, is is not actually something that you can find in a traditional reading of scripture. And the, the reason for that is because the very concept of sexual orientation is a modern construction. Um, 120 years ago, it didn't exist. Um, And so I I would want to start there and ask her what what she means by that. Um, And uh, but since she's not here and I can't ask that, um, I'll try to maybe speak a little bit to how can uh, um, churches be healthy places for Um, queer people that are conservative in their theology. In other words, churches that believe that um, marriage ought to be between a man and a woman. Um, And uh, there's a lot that I can say on this topic, but um, I think um, 
one, if not the most, one of, if not the most important thing is to recognize that uh, the definition of marriage is not a primary doctrine of the Christian faith. Um, It is not something that can be found in any of the creeds. Um, It is not a salvation issue. Um, It's not even a sacrament in Protestant denominations. Um, And so I would want to start there. Yes, marriage is incredibly important, and I'm not going to um, say otherwise. Incredibly important thing, beautiful thing, um, something that um, God celebrates that is you know, good to celebrate and honor and uphold. Um, but it is not something of primary importance to the Christian faith. Um, and so when we, when we elevate it to this place of, um, you have to believe the right thing on marriage again, what are we doing? We're adding to the gospel. Um, And so it's important to recognize that um, different Christians can have different ideas about the definition of marriage um, and still live in community with each other Mm -hmm. um, and still be friends and still be okay with each other and not offended by the other person's existence or presence um, and yeah. people are people are going to be like, how? That doesn't make any sense. Um, like our beliefs are incompatible. Um, but and I talk about this in the book. Um, I think it's it's helpful to compare other um, complex theological issues such as baptism. Um, baptism is um, an incredibly significant doctrine in the Christian faith, um, and baptism is a sacrament in Protestant denominations. Um, And if you go back 300 years ago, um, Protestants and Catholics were killing each other um, over how they defined the doctrine of of baptism. Um, And, you know, 300 years later, we're now embarrassed by that history. We'll speak at conferences together. Yeah, you know, Presbyterians and Baptists setting that aside. Exactly. And I was, um, I've been a part of non-denominational churches where the issue of baptism wasn't even um, something that was like in the membership covenant, um, where you could believe what you wanted to believe and that's okay. Um, And yeah, and so I would say we need to get to this place where marriage is not such a like primary thing, such a mm-hmm. thing that is placed on a pedestal in Christian communities. Um, because and until we uh, d- until we bring it back down <laughs> to you know the to reality, as long as it's up there on that pedestal, it's going to be very, very difficult um to uh, do anything else um because every little thing that um, appears to um, threaten your own beliefs about marriage is going to appear to threaten the gospel itself when that is not the case. Right. Um, and so that's that's the first thing I would say. I'm going to get you back into today's episode in just a moment. But first, I want to thank the sponsor that is making today's episode possible. And that sponsor is Factor. 
Factor creates no prep, no mess meals. You can meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So, no matter how busy you are, no matter how many podcasts you're recording, going up and down the stairs, trying to take meetings, whatever you're doing, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. And I can say this from experience. They were kind enough to send me a couple of meals for this week. And I enjoyed one just shortly before reading this ad. And it is amazing. And with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. You can make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert and stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. And these aren't meals that skimp on quality either. You've got things like filet mignon, shrimp, blackened salmon, and so much more. So if you want to try it, go head over to factormeals.com slash preacherboys50 and use code preacherboys50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code preacherboys50 at factormeals.com slash preacherboys50. To get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Go check out Factor and now check out the rest of this episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, and what you're saying isn't even solely to this topic of, you know, LGBT issues. I mean, marriage being on a pedestal has wreaked havoc on, you know, heteronormative relationship. I mean, the fact that women are being told you're not fulfilling your purpose unless you are a wife, uh, for Mm -hmm. men to be told you're not fulfilling your purpose until you become the leader of a home, uh, you know, like those issues are not limited to just this topic, though it's certainly most exemplified here. Like we're seeing this happen in, and you talk about this in the book as well by, by the book. Um, but you're, you know, you're seeing this happen when it comes to just the way purity culture has taught us to think about ourselves as individuals, you know, and how we thought about relationships and the way we've put marriage on, on a pedestal. Um, Evan asked uh, two questions here. Uh, actually more, but I'll, I'll pick two uh, for sake of time. But num- number one, uh, what words of encouragement would you give to someone who might be listening, who is an LGBTQ teen, who is currently feels stuck within a church that's teaching them to hate themselves, teaching them mm-hmm. uh, very toxic beliefs about themselves? Yeah, I uh, I would say uh, first, um you're not the only one who um, is in the situation that you're in. Um, There are so many people who um, are currently in that uh, place right along with you Um, and many others who um, grew up in context like that um, and are now out of context like that. And so I guess the, the first thing I would say is, is you're not alone. Um, and, uh, I think a- another thing I'd want to say is, um, it's really 
easy to uh, believe that this is um, how things will be forever, um, that there's no getting out, um, that there is no escape. Um, it's, it's really because, um, that, that place can be so isolating. Um, it's really easy to, um, uh, convince yourself that this is the universe, um, and you'll never get out of it. Um, and so, um, I want to tell you that uh, you uh, are not going to be in this place forever. Um, and even though you are um, in a situation uh, that you um, can't get out of right now, um, it's not going to be like that forever. And um, I would encourage you to. Um, seek out uh, different organizations that provide support um, for people that are in situations uh, like yours. Uh, the Trevor Project is a, is a big one that provides a lot of help and support um, specifically to, to LGBTQ young people. Um, and uh, there's, there's other organizations like uh, Lead Them Home with Bill Henson. They provide a lot of support to young people um, that are in difficult situations, um, especially young people that have maybe been kicked out of their homes, um, have nowhere to go, uh, things like that. And um, finally, I guess, I mean, there's, there's so much that I can say, but um, I think that it's important to say that God loves you and that uh, you may be in a community where you're not hearing that, um, where you're hearing a message um, of condemnation, um, where you feel like um, you are unlovable and um, God can't possibly um, have any, have any grace for you. And, um, that's just, it's not true. That's a lie. Um, and God, uh, God loves you. He is there for you. And, um, God is never going to, that's never going to change. Um, there is nothing that you can do, no decision that you can make, um, about your sexuality that is going to change that. Um, that is going to um, change your belonging in the family of God. Um, and so um, I want to remind you that you are safe in God's family. There is nothing that can threaten um, your belonging um, in the house of God. Um, and God loves you um, no matter what. And uh, that's, that's just never going to change. Yeah. And the flip side of this question, and um, we can close on this one for those that have grown up in environments like this and who have had the experience, you know, I've, I've talked about, I mean, much of my audience due to abuse has left the church um, has come to a place now where they're trying to essentially figure out what they believe, where they're at. Uh, some are reexamining their previous religion. Some are trying to figure out what their path is, you know, where they're at, um, you know, and there's many that are wanting to reexamine their faith. So what are some ways to feel safe to 
re-enter that world. Because for a lot of people, they leave the church and they shut that box and that's done. The spiritual aspect of life is closed. Um, mm-hmm. How can they get back into, in the question specifically, that says make them safe uh, going to a church again or feel safe, mm-hmm. you know, stepping into that world one more time? Yeah. So um, I really feel this question. Um, I never stepped away from the Christian faith, but I definitely stepped away from church for a very long time um, because I, um, I just, I couldn't walk into a church without just feeling panicked. Um, and it was like, I couldn't go to church without like breaking down into tears after I left, um, and just like crying the rest of the day, um, because of just the, I don't know, the the ways that it triggered me and the emotions that it brought up. Uh, and so, um, I guess one thing that I would say is don't put pressure on yourself to have to go to church. Um, I think that's like the first thing that people think of when they think of like trying to reconnect with a faith community is like, I got to go to church on Sunday. And like, I don't know why that's the case because that's not necessarily what they were taught. (laughs) Yeah. That's what we've been taught. That's how American Christianity teaches you. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. And that is not, you know, the one and only way to, to reconnect. And so, yeah, don't put pressure on yourself to have to go to church on Sunday um, in order to like start that process. Um, I think that um, there's, there's so many different ways that you can reconnect. Um, And, you know, it depends, it's different for every person. Um, One person, it might be just like, taking out their Bible again and reading it. Um, For another person, that might be really triggering and traumatizing. And so like, maybe they shouldn't put pressure on themselves to read the Bible. Maybe they just need to like, you know, take out their journal um, and, you know, do some writing. I have someone else that I know um, that I'm very close to um, who has found um, uh, a way to reconnect with God by practicing yoga. Um, and a lot of, a lot of Christians are going to be like yoga. I was just about to say, Oh man, another can of worms right at the end. (laughs) I know right at the end, but maybe more controversial than anything we've talked about is going to (laughs) be, they endorse yoga. Oh my gosh. But yeah, she has like, like, it's really been amazing how like that has been an avenue for her to have, um, a way to engage spiritually with the, the Christian God um, that does not remind her of all the baggage um, that um, has been associated with the Christian God for so long. Um, and so like there, there's so many ways to reconnect with God, to um, start like kind of reigniting your spiritual life. Um, and so don't put pressure on yourself to have to do things a certain way. Um, if like, if reading your Bible causes your like entire body to like clench up, then clearly that's not where to begin. Um, begin some, some place where, um, that, that brings you life, um, that, you know, is something that opens you up. Um, and you know, that's, that's probably where to begin in terms of, of connecting with God and just like 
you know, take it one step at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, I, I appreciate you taking so much time for this conversation and for all the time poured into the book and all the other resources you put out on this topic. And uh, for anybody who's listening who wants to connect with you, obviously they can go to a link in the show notes and grab a copy of Heavy Burdens. Uh, but if somebody wants to connect with you, follow you, what's the best place to do that? Um, yeah, probably the best place is on social media. My handle is Traveling Nun. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and then um, another uh, good spot is my blog, uh, meditationsofatravelingnun.com. Um, and that has um, all of my writing there uh, that I've been doing for the past uh, many years. And um, it's kind of a space that I use currently to engage with things that are currently going on in the Christian world related to right. LGBTQ issues. Um, so yeah, my handles at traveling nun, my blog meditations of a traveling nun. Um, and you can find me, follow me, DM me, whatever you like. But if you're going to DM or you're going to ask any questions, you have to buy the book first. That is the rule. Uh, you gotta, <laughs> gotta go check out the book first before you start uh, throwing out any questions to make sure it's not already answered. But, uh, but no, thank you so much for doing this. I hope it's not our last, uh, last conversation. I think you were on new evangelicals like three times. Um, yeah. so I need to hurry to bump my numbers up so we can, uh, we can beat that, but, uh, but thanks again <laughs> so much for coming on and, uh, and for all your work. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's been really great. Thank you for listening to the preacher boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, Please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.